Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. A little bit of a different message for you tonight. I want to speak on happiness and joy. And it seems to me that sometimes, um, I just want to be upfront with you as I start. This is a, I'm not talking about Christianity light, but I want to give you a message of encouragement tonight. I want you to leave here tonight built up on your most holy faith, edified in the Lord. I, I just feel like sometimes we live in such a serious world and such serious times that people, you know, facing huge, huge decisions. And, and I think that sometimes our, the, the flickering candle of our hope, our joy, just seems to almost flicker in the breeze. And so tonight, I, I want you to leave with your joy rekindled. So if you'll work with me a little bit, I, I want to read to you, first of all, from 1 Peter, in the first chapter, verses 8 and 9. It's talking about Jesus, Jesus Christ. It ends with, verse 7 ends with the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom, having not seen, ye love, in whom though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Now listen to that phrase again. Believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Let me, let me speak to you, first of all, about the issue of happiness. Excuse me, by the way, is that ringing, or is it just me? You know, it's, it's the anointing. Sometimes it just, you know, it just overloads a sound system. There's, there's nothing I can do about it, really. They'll get it fixed in a minute if you'll be patient. We have the best sound people in the whole world. Look, there are equal and opposite errors in much of the Christian community relative to happiness. I, I know, and I've preached, and I've heard it preached countless times, that happiness is circumstantial, it's fleeting, happiness is about our surroundings and our situation, and it's not enduring as joy. However, sometimes I have the feeling that that gets slightly, if I can say this, over-preached in the sense that it makes Christians almost feel guilty if they're happy. So I, I just want to say this to you. I know that happiness is not the supreme goal of God in your life. Holiness is. Having said that, however, I do want to say to you, I've checked with God, and he's okay if you are happy. I, I'm going to, we're going to deal with the issue of joy, but I want to deal just with happiness a, a wee bit. There are a few verses in scripture, not hundreds and hundreds. There are hundreds that deal with joy, but there are several verses in scripture that deal with happiness. And I, I would like to just give you a few of those. Uh, if you know the uh, imprecatory Psalms, those are the Psalms that uh, deal with uh, kind of uh, wishing punishment on people. And uh, so one of them is Psalm 137, verse 8 and 9. It says, happy are those who destroy Babylon. And uh, then it goes on to say, you know, happy are those who, who uh, you know, take the children of Babylon and dash their brains out on a rock. Well, 
that's probably not the kind of happiness that I'm thinking of tonight. Okay, but then there are some other verses in Scripture. Deuteronomy 33, 29 says, Happy art thou, O Israel, because you are saved by the Lord. There are a collection of, song, of uh, verses that go through the book of Proverbs. Proverbs has the most verses about happiness of any book in the Bible. Uh, Proverbs 3 and 18 says, Happy are those who find wisdom. It's repeated again in 3.13. 16.20, Happy is he who handles a matter wisely. 29.18, this is something that we might want to remember. Happy is he who keeps the law. And Proverbs 14.21 Happy is he, this is good, happy is he who has mercy on the poor. Psalms 146 verse 5 says, happy is he that has God for his helper. Psalm 144 verse 15, the people, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Psalm 127 verse 5 may be a challenge for some of you, but it says, happy are those people that have lots of children. I just met a precious lady. She's sitting right back over there when she came in. I said, my sister, you look a little bit tired. She said, I've had all my grandchildren for two days. <laughs> so that verse may be a little bit of a challenge for her. But it means children are a blessing to us. We, they, they, they do make us happy. And then Job 5.17 says, happy is he whom God corrects. When God challenges you, when he teaches you, admonishes you, corrects you in any way, makes you happy. John 13, 17, Jesus said, in the context of washing his disciples' feet, in other words, he says, happy are those of you who serve. 1 Peter has a little more of a challenge to it. 1 Peter 3, 14 and 4, 14 seem to imply that we should be happy in persecution. Now, let's talk about that for just a moment. That's, that's not happy like it is if somebody takes you to Six Flags. It means happiness comes from the ancient English word for happenstance. What is going on, the happening. In other words, to be in a good situation. So what God is saying to us, even in persecution, even in persecution, you are still in a good place if you have invested your life in the hands of God. You're still in a good place. And James 5.11 says, count them happy who endure suffering and affliction. Again, it's not a frivolous kind of happiness. It is that even though they're suffering, their situation with God is good. In Acts 26 and verse 2, Paul the Apostle is appearing before King Agrippa, and he says, I'm happy to be here before you, King. I'm happy to be here before you. I, I studied the verse in preparation for this message, and it's obvious that it's a kind of a gratuitous remark. He's in chains. He's been in prison in Caesarea for two years without even a charge being brought to him. I don't think he's saying, man, this is great. Nothing I like better than prison. I think he's saying, as you would, I'm happy to appear before you, and I'm glad to be able to have this trial and get it over with. In Romans 14.22 is perhaps one of the most beautiful verses of Scripture relative to happiness. It says, happy are those who do not condemn themselves. We are happy if we live in the liberty that God has given us and have moved beyond the bondage and pain of self-condemnation. 
Happiness, therefore, is not to be dismissed. Sometimes I, I hear Christians talk about happiness as if, as if it's so frivolous and shallow and stupid that if you're a spiritual-minded Christian, you should never be happy. I think it's perfectly okay to say, I'm happy. This is a good time in my life. God is blessing me. I'm, I'm in a good place, and I'm happy. However, there is a balance to all things. And that balance is this, that it is to a certain extent circumstantial. In other words, things can change. Happiness can be fleeting. It can be temporary. And, and if we pin our happiness, our deep, profound happiness, we're coming to joy, to something that can melt away, it can sour our whole attitude toward life. The very first church I pastored, a little tiny uh, United Methodist Church. I was in the Methodist Church for many years. And I pastored a little tiny Methodist Church. Young kid. I was 22 years old, pastoring my first church. A little Methodist Church. There were two ladies in that church. They were sisters, and they were both widows. The one lady, Lois, her husband had died and left her very well off. She had a nice house and a luxury automobile, and he had he had really left her well situated because of life insurance and estate and all kinds of things like that. But she was without a doubt the most sour pistol lady I've ever met in my life. Just every time, hi Lois, how are you doing? Well, I'm terrible. You know, I just oh, I just got where I dreaded to see her coming up the steps of the church. Doesn't you know what I'm talking about? Just a sourpuss. And her sister, Ethel, Ethel was also a widow, but her husband had been um, a, a, a laborer who had died suddenly in an accident and left her with nothing, absolutely nothing. And she was childless. She had no children, no one to take care of her. She lived right down here in Marietta in a public housing unit, a very difficult situation. One day I went to see Ethel and when I knocked on the door, she went there. So there's a little concrete apron. I mean, to call it a porch, it defames porches around the world. It was a, a little tiny concrete apron on the back of her little apartment. And I thought maybe she's sitting around there. So I went around the end of the building and I just stood and looked at her and she was sitting there. She didn't see me. She had a basin on her lap and she was popping beans. Her little hands were so twisted up with arthritis that every one of those beans that she popped was serious pain. And she was popping those beans like that. And I could hear her singing. Count your blessings, name them one by one. She's singing, count your blessings and popping those beans. Her little hands were just aching. So I went around. Hi, Miss Ethel. Oh, Pastor. How are you? I said, well, I'm fine. How are you? Oh, she said, this is the most wonderful day. She's poor, a public housing unit, crippled nearly with arthritis. And I said, is it? Um, how, how is it so wonderful? Oh, she said, the lady two doors down has just had a brand new baby and I'm making them supper. Now I thought to myself, what's the difference between these two ladies, sisters, both widows, one rich, just cantankerous. Do you know just, who was, remember the seven dwarfs? She was grumpy. <laughs> like all the time grumpy. I'm rich. Life is horrible. <laughs> and Ethel, count your blessings. Name them one by one. 
praising God because she has the strength left in her little crippled fingers to make supper for the lady two doors down who's just had a baby in a public housing unit. You know, there's a lot more in attitude about happiness than we have given credit for. But then we come to this issue. Then we come to this issue of joy. There are more than 200 verses in the Bible that deal with joy. And it is clear as you read through them and study them one after another that it's talking about a different thing. It's talking about something far more profound. If you read that passage that we, with which we began, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, we see that joy is, first of all, based on faith. In other words, it's not just an attitude of life. It's not just circumstantial happiness. We have joy because even though we have never seen Jesus, I mean, maybe you have had a, a, a vision or something, but, but 1 Peter says we have never seen Jesus. Even having never seen him, we still love him and rejoice with joy. Does it say marginal joy or some joy or pretty good joy? Listen to what it says, joy unspeakable, and not just joy unspeakable, joy unspeakable and full of glory. Our joy, therefore, is based on the reality of our faith. It is faith-oriented because we know to whom we are going. We know who walks with us. We know the ground, anchor, and foundation of our salvation. We know the lover of our souls. We know eternal faith. We know these things. Therefore, our joy is anchored in our faith. The second thing is this. In, two, in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, in verses 19 and 20, we, we see that there is a relational part of joy. Joy is, is relational because Paul writes to the Christians at Thessalonica and he says, you are our glory and joy. You are our glory and joy. I want to say something, and I want this to be a very positive and encouraging message, but I have a stern word for somebody here, and you need to hear what I'm going to say. It is a terrible, terrible sin to steal the joy of a child of God. If your parents, your children, your spouse, if the joy of the Lord is our strength, and by your actions, lives, disobedience, hurtfulness, thoughtlessness, cruelty, of any of those things, you steal the joy of a believer, you cripple their strength. And God says it would be better to be have a millstone hung around your neck and be cast in the depths of the sea than that you make one of his children stumble. Therefore, we must be careful of each other's joy. Joy is relational. We dare not steal each other's joy but Paul says to the Christians at Thessalonica, you, you give me joy. Look, we, we love each other. We love each other in the Lord. But every now and again, we ought to give each other joy. We ought to be able to look at somebody's life, at somebody's witness, to do a, the kindness, uh, their, their testimony, their living testimony, and be able to gain joy from it. And I want to tell you something else. We ought to take the model of St. Paul and tell somebody else, you give me joy. You give me joy. 
what, what would it hurt if every now and again you just said to somebody, you, you make me joyful. You just, I'm so proud of you. I love you. I adore you. And you give me joy. Why would Paul, even from prison, write to the church at Thessalonica and say, you give me joy? So joy is, first of all, based on faith. It is, second of all, to a certain extent, relational. Third, it is eternal. We just, we just saw that in 1 Peter 8 and 9. It is everlasting. Our joy will never, ever go away. It's a fascinating passage of scripture. But Jesus, it's, it is said of Jesus, who he who for the joy set before him patiently endured the pain of the cross. So he said the eternity of joy, the splendor, the wonder, the magnificence of what I'm going to experience on the other side of this horrifying veil of pain, that eternity in joy is so huge, so real to me that I can endure this and go through this based on joy. I was uh, talking with a man in Texas. And he poured his heart out to me. He said that his wife had had an affair with uh, their attorney. And then that attorney worked through the divorce. And he said his, his wife and her lover took the, he said they took my ranch, which had been in my family in Texas for four generations. And he said, my wife and my lawyer are living in my great, great, great grandfather's ranch. And I said, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with that? He said, well, it's tough. He said, it's tough, but I'm going to tell you something, preacher. He said, they took my ranch. He said, they took my happiness, but they didn't take my Jesus and they didn't take my joy. We have to, we have to come to that where we say, look, for this moment right now, for what I'm going through, the eternity of what I'm going to experience in joy, unspeakable and full of glory. I see that. It's real. It's not the joy of heaven. The joy of eternity is not some Christian myth that we dangle in front of the kids in order to make them behave. It is that eternal hope of splendor beyond anything we can imagine here that says, no matter what I'm experiencing right now, nothing can steal my joy because my joy is not anchored in this world. It is eternal. And then finally, joy must be expressed. Joy must be spoken. It must be sung. It needs to be, it needs to find expression. It's not just that we have joy or that we feel joy. In Acts chapter 16, when Paul and Silas are in prison, we, we, we find them praising and worshiping. I preached on worship a few weeks ago and the, I, I love to preach on worship. But listen, from prison, Paul wrote, rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. That was his word to the saints from jail. Rejoice. Now, what does rejoice mean? It is rejoice is tied to the word joy. It is joy in expression. To rejoice means to express joy. Now, here's the wonderful thing about expressing joy. 
The more I express joy, the more I experience joy. So it's a wonderful escalating circle. I have joy, so I express joy. I express joy. I have more joy. Therefore, I express it more. Therefore, I have more. Joy needs, requires expression to communicate it, to say it, to sing it. The Psalms are full of expressions of joy, not just worship, not just, not just worship, but sometimes to express our joy, to just sing it out. Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it's not easy to express joy. I wonder what it was like for Paul the Apostle from prison to write. He's in prison. The people to whom he's writing are all safe in their homes. And he's telling them, rejoice. Not just rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. So sometimes you have to reach down inside yourself and catch hold of that joy. But when you express it, the joy becomes, will you excuse this bad word, realer. Our joy is real, but expressing it, singing it, articulating it, makes it realer. And the realer it becomes, the more we want to express it. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.